clubhouse. You got a special occasion you want to look nice for? Uh, I was hope. I want to look nice, but uh, I'm not sure that it's a special occasion. I, well, promise you won't tell Kevin. We're in that mutually assured destruction territory now, yeah? Right. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Kevin Can Podcast Himself, your unofficially official companion podcast for AMC's new series, Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Tonight we're talking about episode three, We're Selling Washing Machines. It was written by Craig DiGregorio, who is actually this uh, series showrunner, and Noel Valdivia. It was directed by Anna DeCosa, who is going to be directing this episode and the next one. Awesome. Well, I liked this episode. I felt like it got so much more complicated, much more twisted and turny storytelling and a ton more backstory and it focused a lot less on the sitcom bullshit i mean we talked about this at the end of last week with the reveal of patty being the source of the drugs that we hoped it would move away from the sitcom like that table had been set you know as far as allison and kevin and we had an idea of what that was and and so hopefully we would be spending more time outside of that and i and i think this episode spent a lot less time in the sitcom setting your wish was granted. It, it was. It was. I want to start at the very beginning, like literally the beginning. The name of this episode is We're Selling Washing Machines. Did that ring a bell to you when you saw that? Well, I do know the concept generally that washing machines and appliances in general are definitely sold directly to women. They are always in this fantasy world. In a perfect life, you would have this this beautiful home and these wonderful children and, you know, this puppy who just like sits quietly and... And it all started when you bought that washing machine. Not very much unlike Allison in her dream fantasy that she would have, where she's standing to Kevin's left, pouring him the beer into the frosted mug, and they're looking like a 1950s, you know, sitcom couple. And fascinating, if you look behind her, it's with all upgraded stainless steel appliances. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so every episode so far has had a title. The first one was called Living the Dream. The second one was called New Tricks. Tonight, when, when I saw We're Selling Washing Machines, that rang a bell because Patty has a great line in the first episode where her and Allison are sitting on the porch. Patty is defending her neutrality of life saying you know i know where i'm gonna be in 10 20 years and she says pretending things will change is how they is how they sell washing machines and that line that line stayed with me that's a really really pessimistic line but it stayed with me her delivery the meaning behind it stayed with me so when i saw where selling washing machines i was like oh shit like patty and this is a patty episode yeah dead on you brought up to me that we hadn't talked about the title cards and how they're a little bit different every episode yeah so if you watch how they decide to camouflage the word fuck then you will get a little bit of a, a hint or a clue about what is going to be the um i don't know if i want to say the theme of the episode but i want to say there's it's got something that's going to have to do with that little portion a clue or a connection 
question or yes yes so in the first episode it was just shifting sliding through the word fuck so it only revealed one or two letters of the word at any given time i think it's the sliding and sifting between worlds that allison does that's the reveal in that episode and then episode two it's the sound of glass breaking as the word fuck shatters which is obviously represented by Allison literally kicking in the frame holding the Belichick hoodie. Tonight, it was a burn hole through the U and the C and fuck. I think represented Patty, who smokes, for one, but we see her expressly put a cigarette out in a well-worn burn hole in the bus stop poster, which is an ad for... Guessing washing machine. For a washing machine. So it's all coming together. <laughs> Look at them. They've got so much symbolism. There was a lot of burn, though, in here. I mean, you also had the burn pig. Rest in peace, uh, piggies are, uh, piggy stardust. And the burned contact. That was the huge one for me. The, the drug contact is now that whole supply line is burned. It's all burned. And all kind of goes back to Patty. One's kind of signifying without us realizing it that it was going to be a Patty episode. Yeah, the pig situation also at the end, I got not that I want to get there yet, the pig situation at the end when her and Allison are standing around the pig, they're kind of like, well, you know, we have to clean this up. And, and Patty thinks she's talking about the pig and Allison's talking about the pill situation. You know, so the pig ends up being some kind of metaphor for the larger, the over-roasted pig that doesn't get used terms to, you know, ends up being an over like an overarching metaphor, I think, of some sort for the situation that they find themselves in at the end of the episode. It's the whole every time someone on Sopranos would throw something or smash something on the floor or or throw, you know, the bowl of spaghetti. And I would say, who has to clean that up? This is it. It's the it's the two women standing at the end of the episode having to clean up the mess that was left. It's a shield shovel. It's uh, yeah. it's it's the people who come in after the Avengers destroy New York. They never get recognition and you never see it get done. It just <laughs> the elves, you know, I'm sure Kevin doesn't have any idea how anything gets cleaned in that house. Oh, no. The pig will just be gone. Yes. The, the elves will take care of it when he's not looking, uh, when he's off, you know, making up for lost bro time with Neil, I guess. I, w- I want to start, if we can, actually picking up on something that we didn't discuss last week because we knew it was going to play out this week. The Marcus tricks Allison into buying pills, but really is pimping her out storyline. Well, there's a huge, large storyline of Marcus that I that I really want to look at as like a much bigger idea, because, you know, it it is not just that moment with the van, but it's the back and forth between the two of them that I am so curious. We had talked in the last episode about playing a petty man's game and that you can't ever win. So far, every single time that Allison interacts with Marcus, she ends up getting burned. I am curious about what this is. Why have this little microcosm of her having this sort of tiff with this man who is it's he is inconsequential to her life she doesn't have to interact with him really at all but she's she is and she's having this like ongoing back and forth with him throughout the the first three episodes so far and i'm guessing it's going to continue on and just how they keep interacting and affecting each other's lives i find it fascinating i'm wondering Is it a microcosm for the larger Kevin plot? Is this like every time she takes one step forward thinking she's got Marcus, she ends up getting burned like way harder. 
So starting back when she embarrasses Marcus in front of everybody else, when she when she basically loses her temper, right? So without without thinking, she does this impulsive move and hits him, right? And from there, we just have this domino effect of of then him setting up this this whole situation of things that continue to happen. I think the show is going to be a, a large exploration of who these people are. You know, we, we've already t- we've talked every episode so far about looking for clues to reveal who Kevin is. And and just by the nature of our discussion, I think we're discussing always who Allison is. She presents herself to the world in one way and thinks she's invisible in another way, but she's not. And and seems oblivious to how she interacts in the world. I think this aspect of impulsive action, then having unintended consequences that backfire on her, is part of this character, and maybe even character flaw. She takes the hoodie in a moment of revenge that makes her feel good last week, and it, it bolsters her all episode, and then it backfires on her on the end because it set off a chain of events that led to Kevin committing insurance fraud, which is going to enable him to buy an even much, an even better hoodie, a much more expensive hoodie. So she loses. It's the same thing here. She went back and forth, tit for tit, with Marcus. Uh, yeah, we no longer say tip for tat on when we're talking in this show. We have to say tip for tip. Uh, Neil said so. She goes back and forth with him. She gets burned at the bridge looking for pills. Why would she trust him after slapping him and knowing that she did that? She's oblivious again. She like- apologized. So she thought it was over because that's how it works with Kevin. That's the fascinating thing. She's applying the rules of Kevin to Marcus. The minute that she unlocks Marcus, I think she's going to unlock Kevin. I, I think it's going to be like one of those things where she's going to have to have some wins with Marcus here, and that's going to translate. It's like baby steps. It's like my first high heels. I think I don't think she has the tools for working anyone other than Kevin. Not right now. That's why he's like the training wheels. Marcus is teaching her. That she, what doesn't work. And, and, and it's interesting because she is having this training wheel life over here, not to underestimate, you know, what could happen. I think it's interesting that in both times that we've seen she her doing something impulsive to in this episode, it's calling the police. A chain of events happened. And it's not like one thing happens. It's like several different steps then happen in between. And then it comes all the way back around to her. And she learns that the thing she did caused her unhappiness at the end of the episode we're saying it's a tough thing but in the two times we've seen it happen now it comes the dominoes circle all the way back to her and she learns that she is the cause of it when she when she hears patty say marcus is the one marcus got flipped picked up and flipped on terrence the way she puts her head in her hands i felt for her but at the same time um, i was also thinking you did that your call to the cops did that that yeah but but it's like her recognition that like i caused my own pain that's what marcus's lessons are you know every single time she gets into a situation she she trusts the wrong person marcus or she sets him up to hurt him and it backfires on her there's something fascinating about the marcus storyline that again for for this idea of a of a story within a story I think is really, really, really interesting and something that I give the writers so much credit for. Craig and Noel, I feel like the two of them, like, this is really 
cool storytelling because we are learning so much about Allison, but she's learning so much about herself. And every single time that happens, it's so subtle. Like they barely light the back of the police car for you to realize that it's Marcus back there pointing them towards the drugstore. I mean, you have to really pay attention that it's him. Man, of course, the entire scene with the van, I know our listeners might have been like last episode, like, how are you ignoring the entire almost rape of Allison in a van, you know, and just like moving on? And I'm glad that we saved it because I think that it helps when you can see that Marcus, then this next step happens with the with the drugs, that you can see there's a pattern here. And if we just took it in isolation, I don't I think it'll be harder to see this pattern. So we have Allison who knows how to work Kevin. That's her starter set. Because that, that's can we just say, does she? She says she knows how to work Kevin. She knows how to work Kevin in a sick in in, in a well, yes. We she haven't kn- seen her win. Well, exactly. She knows how to work Kevin in a sitcom wife trope setting because, again, unintended con- uh, consequences. She sows that this is one of the tropes of the episode is sitcom wife sows division between husband and friend because she's had enough of their shenanigans. It immediately backfires on her immediately right. and then she spends the rest of the episode regretting immediately her decision to do that again she does a thing like she she says a comment knowing it's going to set the two of them off against each other because it makes her feel good it's 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 like a junkie it's like cindy the junkie in this episode she she's going to get a quick fix and then pay the price over a in a much more significant way that's going to hurt her and in a much more serious way. So was it really worth it? Was it worth it to, to set Neil and Kevin apart from each other that you now had to go deal with all the pig stuff? The problem is, and I, I want to be, I want to at least right now anyway, put in quotation marks or air quotes that Allison is learning from these events. Allison is seeing these events. She's seeing the unintended consequences of her impulsive behavior, takes the hoodie, Kevin gets a better hoodie, calls the cops on Marcus, the pill supply dries up. She's seeing them, but is she learning from them? Because as of yet, she's not learning from them. I don't think she's going to learn anything from the Kevin interactions. I, I don't think that the hoodie thing, I think the, the hoodie portion was all like, wah, wah, because it was all within the sitcom sort of world. But with Marcus... It wasn't, though. It, no, no, no. No, I disagree. When she takes the hoodie, that is her not in the sitcom setting. When she kicks no, the glass but in... the consequences are in the sitcom setting. So I'm saying that Marcus is the only one where the, where the consequences... Like, I feel like she, the only time she has the potential to learn is when we're in not sitcom land. Sitcom land, she's stuck in her trope. She seems to just keep making the same mistake over and over again with Kevin. So it's it's fascinating that in the not, what are we going to call it, the drama side of it all, if you will, she is acknowledging when things are kind of going wrong, although she's not stopping. She's continuously engaging Marcus. You that's know? true. That's true. And so let, let's let's run it down just so people can keep a tally if you're going to if you're so inclined. She she has her outburst after her coke incident. She makes oatmeal raisin cookies and an apology that doesn't work. She thinks it works. It doesn't work. What well, embarrasses him? She calls the cops on Marcus well, that backfires on her, So, which is super aggressive. So there has to be somewhere maybe in the middle if if she's going to be successful. If, if you're right and that Marcus is the test case for learning how to deal with the world and deal with and deal with men or deal with Kevin, you know, there's got to be somewhere in the middle, somewhere between sweet cookies and aggressive cop calling that is going to unlock it. 
does the same thing though apply to her relationship with Sam, the only other guy that she really has constant interaction with? Because we wrote her hard for her behavior last week, and this episode sees her going and apologizing to him, and and without him prompting her, apologizing for being acting like a fifteen year old brat. Uh, for how she spoke to him and behaved the night before. Was that growth? Were you were you surprised even to see that she did that? Because that's a sub- level of self-awareness. I don't know that we've seen from Allison so far. I don't think I don't think I was surprised to, to see her apologize because she she apologized to Marcus, too, with the cookies. So I think that she's not afraid to go to the apology well and go that route. The thing is, is that it didn't work really for either of them. Like he's like, yeah, okay. And, and, and it, it, it did take some steps forward. Yes. To in their friendship, but obviously with Marcus and I don't want to leave Marcus quite yet because it's important from like the larger woman sense, the two missteps that they have Allison take with Marcus being this more passive aggressive, embarrassing him in front of his friends whether it was on purpose or not and then the more direct okay i'm gonna really like create some consequences for marcus by calling the the authorities i i thought it was savvy of them to address those two particular situations whoever it is in the partnership one person embarrassing the other Typically, it's it's the the male who's going to be triggered into having a bigger response and getting really upset. And there's being like a one up man ship right. to the whole thing. And then, you know, this this next step of like, well, someone else can speak on my behalf. I can get I can call in the authorities and they can write the situation. And that totally doesn't work out. It's an it's interesting to dabble in those steps because those are the types of things that. If you're thinking, well, how can she sort of get other ways to get out of a relationship? And these are some things that are tried and uh, and, it, and it backfires on, on her repeatedly. Uh, guys aren't given that manual. Whether You know, abusive guys are abusive guys and they have their triggers. Men aren't like told the same things like I, I, I no one ever told me that, Mike, if you find yourself in a relationship with an abusive woman, you should you know, reach out to the authorities, get them to intercede. They can help you. Now I, I've, I, I, I've worked with, uh, in, uh, in abuse groups and, and done pro bono work for them and, 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 and for abused women. And so I, I know about the, get the police to help you. Don't you like even come like the service, like when you have to go serve papers, the, you have to, the amount of times the bold underlining that you have to say to women who are coming out of these situations is don't go yourself you know, don't please, the impulse that you want to do because you feel like you're taking a bit back, a bit of your power back, but you're putting yourself in this position where it can backfire you in a dangerous way. Use the authorities, go to the sheriff, go do this, go do that. But as a guy, like you're not, we're not told that. I'm curious though, what happens though when you run out of that? What's next for Allison? She's tried the authorities and that didn't work. She's tried, pe- you know, maybe petty things like, embarrassing Kevin in front of Neil as a way of, if not fighting back or at least feeling like she's taking a little bit of power back and maybe being a triggering because Kevin is the kind of person and Marcus certainly seems to be the kind of person who would be triggered by that. What does she do next? What is, what is the unwritten playbook or handbook say that she tries next to, to get out of the situation, to write her ship? I don't know. We'll see in episode four. I look forward to it. 
Now, is there something to this where finding a female companion or one who maybe is in a, in a similar situation, it doesn't have to be maybe even gendered, but someone who's in the same boat as you is an, is an asset here? Because we learn in, in the past, in the, when we start and we're in the four years past, the way they're treating Patty I mean, she should be able to identify with Allison, as it turns out, because they talk down to her when she has a smart idea and they ridicule her for it. So Patty is not immune to the abusive, sitcom husband male behavior that we've seen Allison endure from, from Kevin and Neil and from Patty. You know, in the past, she was getting the same behavior. So is Patty potentially more of an ally for Allison than was than we maybe appreciated before? Well, I think as we're learning Patty's past, I think we're understanding more about where she actually is in the world. I think ally, I, I, if, if I was Patty right now, I'd be like, I'm nobody's ally. I never but really thought of us as I, a we. <laughs> yeah, but I think that she definitely has shown through this this these sort of flashbacks she has a much more caring heart. I mean, I, let's let's get into her past because I think that this is really important to starting to understand who Patty is now and and why she certainly doesn't want to align herself with someone who she views as weak, like Allison. I loved how the show did this because it doesn't tell you at the beginning; it tells you at the end that you're in the past. That being said. I, one thing jumped out at me. The coffee table was different. It wasn't the duct-taped uh, duct uh, pottery barn table nice. in, the, in this scene when it opens up. And I, I noticed it right away because I had I the duct-taped coffee table, despite myself, had been making me laugh. Uh, good job, Josh, on your prop work. It's, it's a very traditional sitcom, uh, like blonde wood. Story. It was a very different kind of coffee table than what, than what had been there in the first two episodes. And you notice the table because Allison is like pulling the pizza and the drinks off of it as as uh, Kevin goes to drop his duffel bag with the Kevin Hart sign in it. But other than that, I didn't realize we were kind of in the past initially. What did you think of the whole Kevin Hart sign and Patty, you know, suggesting to use towing winches and pulleys? She's trying to be one of the guys, but she's maybe being too smart here for these two. All of this is very impulsive. Everything they're doing is so impulsive all the time. The whole idea of like, why wouldn't you just cut the sign? Why would you use sheets to cover up half of it? Like, it isn't about doing it the smartest way. It's just about doing it. You know, why would we use towing winches and pulleys? We can climb on top of the roof and hang it off of the lightning rod. You know, where 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 using a pulley system would almost be like it would almost like take the fun out of it for Kevin and Neil. I, I think that's true. Too too much work. You want to hear some fun facts about that whole sure. Kevin Hart thing? So Kevin Hart actually played the uh, Centrum Center on April 28th, 2015. But fun fact, it actually changed its name from the Centrum Center to the DCU Center in January 2005. So that's a real place. It just hasn't been called that in 16 years. Wild. But when they filmed this, it was probably closer to four years. <laughs> so, so what did you think of Patty's backstory here, especially most specifically this this entire how did she got involved? How she got involved with drugs? One, I, I I love that we got that scene in in the sitcom setting. That Patty, when she walks out, she goes from a sitcom setting to a drama setting, which told me that in some way she also sees Kevin and Neil as being a, a sitcom part of her life that she's trapped in a bit. 
but also this idea that somewhere inside of her, there is something that identifies with what Allison is going through now and, and maybe has been going through all along, that it lives within her. There, There is empathy within her for the situation, which I think it makes more likely for their friendship to actually become a friendship. On the drug story, I, the most interesting part to me was twofold. One, it was the pharmacist. It was Terrence who actually pushed the idea on her. And I love that she scolded him. I thought that was it was wild to me. It, it made me laugh. And I was a little surprised. I love that. She's she's like, you went to, you got a degree. Don't be stupid about it. I love that. She scolded him. What was your reaction to that? Hmm. I didn't take it as a scolding. I took it as like as more like she like she did this like double take. And then she's like, you you have you went to school. Like, don't what are you doing? Like, I didn't take it like a scolding. I took it more like a like he's one of Kevin and Neil's friends. Like, why, why are you doing this? You know, like you're ruining something that that you worked really hard for. Why would you do that? Well, that's I guess what I mean by scolding was was she was saying essentially like you made something of yourself. Don't be stupid and ruin it with a side drug hustle. I think it made me like her more versus her being like, hell yeah, give me those generics. Let's get it. You know, like I like that she didn't jump on the idea right away. That would probably be the majority of people's first response would be like, wow, I, you know, you've worked so hard to get where you are. Don't mess this up. The double take was a little bit kind of like a cousin to almost Allison being so slow on the uptake about the salon being the source for the drugs when she says to the lady outside oh it's drugs for sure the consistent small reveals of people having more to their lives than you would think is something that is fascinating and is definitely carrying over for me in conversations outside of this show where i'm like you know more there's a lot of things going on with other people that you don't really understand and you don't especially people who you might think is are the most straight laced the pharmacist the odds that they have others stuff going on in their lives humans seem to need that let's in the salon i don't know if you did but i let out a little squeal that we got to see the librarian who has a name named judy and steals books from there apparently that no one takes out so she just gives them to patty what for payment i don't know what the deal is there that memoirs of a geisha book very thick that looks like a very thick read it was i read that book that again that that was funny because that was very stereotypical i think every woman i know read memoirs of a geisha definitely i mean and for those of you who don't know anything about the book it's definitely a, a is a whole exploration into the submissive culture of the geishas and how how they have to serve men so it's it's a it's a little nod within the the storyline to this whole idea the show is winking very hard in this episode at mm-hmm. us. For sure. I, I was glad that Judy the Librarian came back. And and this was a very reasonable, realistic storyline where where Patty really shows this empathetic side and is like, man, I don't want my friend to be hurting. You know, this it, it was logical to me to get to where she was. She, she wanted to help her friend. Does it make the fact that Patty sells drugs less bad because she's doing it genuinely is doing it to help people or at least i mean it seems maybe over four years now it's distorted a bit because i mean you do have cindy who's clearly an addict and patty isn't addressing that 
aspect of it. I mean, telling telling her who's literally shaking in front of you to take some ibuprofen is not really being heads up to that situation. And the fact that she caves without really knowing Allison's story, she agrees to sell to Allison too. But overall, though, it seems like she has really altruistic reasons for getting into this, that these people maybe don't have access to the pain meds that she can get. Does it make it less bad? Is it less of a sin if she's like a Robin Hood of pain medication? I think so. I mean, I think the intent matters. And she wasn't going into this to be this like, you know, seedy underground person. She was going into it because of bureaucratic red tape of insurance that Judy didn't have the access to the medication. And she just felt like that was an injustice unto itself. She was just trying to help. And would it matter to the law? Of course not. But does it matter to speaking to Patty's heart and where she is in the world and, and how she looks at the world, I think it matters a lot. And and to us as people being, you know, looking in the fishbowl of these people's lives and how we think about her, you know, Walter White at the beginning of Breaking Bad is a much more sympathetic character than Walter White is at the end of Breaking Bad. How you feel about him changes as his intent and, and, and as his actions change accordingly. And as his greed takes over. So that's a huge part of this, right? Like, I know you're saying she's she's making money on it uh, you know we don't i don't know with that that was never clear it was never clear if she's making some big profit off of this um I, i'm sorry i didn't mean to besmirch her I, I i agree with you i think her intent makes makes it much more permissible for me and how i think about her at the fact that she fronts cash for cindy you know and then cindy pays her back kind of thing like i like that about patty all all of this made me like patty more i came out of this episode liking her a lot more than i did before this episode Speaking to Cindy's um, addiction issues, I think that Patty seemed genuinely not understanding that she was addicted. When she offers the, when she says, just take some Tylenol, I think if you, at least in the delivery of that, I would say that she looked wide eyed. Like, if your back is hurting that much or you're having such a problem, can you just take some more Tylenol? And so then she, I don't think she was taking it. Like she's addicted to these drugs and she is having withdrawal. I, I mean, the, her the the look on her face of like, oh my goodness, and like, you know, like she was genuinely surprised. Is that a little head in the sands though on Patty's part? Yeah, but that's okay because it speaks to the part where she doesn't come from a drug culture. She isn't identifying it for what it is. She didn't recognize the addictive qualities of of the medication, you know, or why would it only be doled out 10 at a time? Again, unintended consequences you were speaking to in doing something that she thought was helpful to Cindy. She thought she was doing something good. She may have inadvertently got her addicted another connection i think it's the third one now that i'm drawing of a parallel between patty and allison that they Mm -hmm. are more alike than at least i don't know that allison's ever really thought about it but certainly patty has always probably has always acted in the two episodes we've seen her like they don't have a lot in common and i think this episode is showing that they actually have a decent amount of things in common common. yeah A, a ton a ton in common getting back to memoirs of a geisha for a second it's interesting four years ago she gets that book fast forward four years she uses this book about being submissive to men and serving them as her cash trap i love the symbolism of that's what i think of this book and being submissive to men kind of thing she also knew that like if neil was in the shop He'd never touch the book. You know, like there's like there's all these uh, people around here are never going to pick up the book. 
Uh, also, a nice little Easter egg, because we don't realize the importance of it yet. When Patty is in the pharmacy uh, the first time we see her in the past, we we see them like a little nod to, to a man that we don't know his name, but we'll know to come is named Kurt. So interesting that even four years ago, even four years ago, the table was kind of set for Patty, that there all these people were in her lives four years ago. Do you want to talk about Kurt and Patty's relationship? Yeah, I think I think we should, because it comes out of nowhere. It wasn't something that had been hinted before. I, I don't think I remember a line in this episode about anything outside of Neil and Kevin for Patty. So this was kind of a real. I thought maybe we were in the past, actually, at first. Then I saw she had the purple streak in her hair. That was a nice a nice little tie-in every time. If you guys watch, you can see as the streak changes, you can tell what timeline you're in. Again, the show teaching us how to watch it, which I super appreciate. One, obviously, she's eating salad. Patty clearly is a, is a meat person, you know, needs those carbs and animal fats. We, we know that from just how she is around with, uh, you know, in the sitcom world. So interesting masks that we wear. What's the attraction to this guy, Kurt? Is it that he's stable? And yet she turns him down for sex. That was interesting, too. What is she getting out of this Kurt relationship? You know, I feel like we need more about these two now that it's been introduced. What was your overall impression of of Patty and Kurt, the couple? Man, I was so focused in on the whole food thing. I was so focused on this idea of how we change ourselves when we're in a couple and we do things that, you know, we think the other person wants us to be doing, we, we encourage it. We're like, Oh yeah, this, this is a good idea. And she even plays along when she's like, guess how much this cost? When he, when Kurt asks, guess how much this meal costs? She's like 60 cents, man. Just looking at the, for some reason, the, the sad cup of water with like no ice in it or anything. And the whole thing just looked so sad. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, this is so much. And even the way that he talks about food where he's like, it's protein and vegetables. Like he doesn't even call it meat or anything. Like he calls it protein. It's such a mood that I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm having a lot of feels about this right now. I think this is a thing that many people, uh, you know, have experienced in relationships it's a little it could be a little bit of a gateway to a controlling relationship and an unhealthy relationship and a, and a sneaking relationship oh, yes that's the really big part is that there's the control factor because yes he is being oh so kind to have prepared their meals but also have to eat what he serves and then the sneaking, the sneaking aspect starts to develop. Yeah, I mean, I gave her credit for coming clean about it. I, I gave her a lot of credit, and I think it was due to her conversation with Allison, but she explodes on him that she's getting heartburn from speed eating fast food on the way over to Kurt's house. And, you know, I'm proud of her for doing that. I couldn't really re read Kurt's reaction, though. I couldn't tell if he was mad or sad. I I'll tell you what I didn't like was the next day at the pharmacy when he says oh you're back for more Lipitor obviously that must be the cover for why she's in the pharmacy yeah. and he says to her maybe it's because all the carbs and animal fat that you eat hey Kurt why don't you go fuck yourself 
That was that was a wicked job that but that's the kind of stuff. So so that's going back to the Marcus thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a man woman thing. The the first move is the passive aggressiveness, those comments that you start making to each other that is so insidious and and asking yourself, like, did he need to say anything like that? And I'm sure he would. I, I know men like Kurt. He would raise his hands up. I could see him physically doing this and say, what? That's what Libertor is for. Like he would think like I'm just worried about your health. What are you talking about? And maybe even genuinely he thinks that again, remember this was in a public place in front of friends. Yeah. Terrence and Patty are friends. They obviously have known each other for a long time. So go back to the embarrass you in front of friends. Ah, (laughs) yeah, I am really, I thought, I really thought Kurt's face could use a a fist in its nose at that point. When one partner begins to dictate how the other has to eat or look or exercise, the the Aunt D, you know, you got to keep yourself tight for Kevin purposes, whether it's that or it's it's for your health. It's for your benefit. I just want you to be your best self. Be like, ah, those are all gateway triggers to really bad behavior and they're insidious because you don't necessarily see them coming like patty is a very strong-willed woman got her opinions and yet she allowed herself to get into this position where she eats salad like a rabbit on a snack tray table with water and watching ray donovan with this guy that's where patty the patty this kind of badass the way we thought about her she allowed herself because it's insidious because you don't see it coming necessarily the passive aggressive comments the controlling the let's do this you don't always see it and then you find you wake up one day and this is what your life is and until someone says what are you doing and and sometimes i think i think a lot of times it it takes a friend or it takes someone who is not in that circle to shake you by the shoulders and say what are you doing Patty is a cut from a different cloth than Allison because she does have the moment when she breaks with Kurt and she says, you know what? I, I don't want to eat this. I want to eat real food. And I want to, you know, I, I've had, the, you know, three burgers this week and like all that, all that whole talk that she has is something to look at as like why Allison doesn't do that. Allison doesn't burst out with Kevin. So what makes Patty different and and how did she find her voice there? Because that is something that within relationships, how does one partner finally feel like, okay, I want to say something. And Patty is certainly not, you know, we have held up Shit's Creek say as, as this, uh, like quintessential, like how do you handle difficult things in your life? And we we typically really applaud how characters handle things. I would not say that this is the healthiest, least least damaging to your relationship way to bring up. Like I, I'm really feeling like I'd like to change up what we eat here. I think it's her conversation with Allison in the salon is what prompts her to do it, though. And and these two sharing, you know, acknowledging their mutually assured destruction territory and so that they both open up. I mean, I was a little surprised that Allison told her about Sam, but she did. And and so Patty is getting a look at that relationship that she's never probably re- realized or seen before. Allison asking Patty about Kurt, too. I think maybe made Patty really stop and really think about maybe for the first time, like, where did I get myself of this storyline? The the really interesting thing for me, this is going to be me being all aboard the Kurt hate train. He has that nasty, nasty remark about the Lipitor line. 
inside the pharmacy the morning after, right? Which which reveals a, a bit or more about who Kurt is. But then in the parking lot, proposes to her. No ring, off-the-cuff impulsive. It's a way for him to double down his control on her. She's rebelled against him in this dating situation of not being satisfied with a protein and a vegetable or whatever the fuck it was and ask for chimichangas. And he then he loses his temper and exposes the real, takes his masks off for a little bit, mask off for a little bit in the pharmacy. His reaction, and this is abusive behavior 101, when the, your partner is slipping from the control, you double down on the reins by big gestures. The proposing is a reaction to her rebelling from the food and her rebelling against his control over their relationship. I'm 100% positive I've seen that play executed a number of times. It's not always proposal, but a big gesture is, oh, you know what? We're going to go on that vacation you've always wanted to, or you're going to get a car that you've always wanted to. I'm going to give you something that I think you're going to fawn over, and I'm going to double down on that control. It's mm. it's insidious. It's disgusting. It's a fucking Scary, major problem. Right? He may be, honestly, Kurt may be the worst man in this story. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll find out. Or, I, or I, at least on Kevin's level, because Kevin does some stuff in this episode, too. I mean, just the, the you get the best surprise of all, eight hours with me, all that kind of stuff. Just oh, just boy. really not understanding their position. There's it's so many moments with that. But I just before we, we get off uh, from Patty and Allison there, because we spoke in the last um episode and i was it's funny to me because the phrase mutual destruction is so prevalent in the my friend group and and in the people that i know that when she actually said it in this episode i almost like looked around like i I, like i did one of those like are the writers under my bed because like that was the exact wording that i used with you in the last episode And, and what i had said to you is they're going to become very fast friends and so when you said you were surprised that that allison revealed so much about sam i wasn't because once you get on that territory it's like you unzip your soul and you just start blathering out like everything it was so cool that patty was like she was in it you know like i like that yeah they well because it's it's so real and you could see um Patty's shoulders when when Allison's like, you know, like like basically, can we talk about this? Patty's shoulders like slump and she's like, Yeah, we're in mutual destruction territory. It's like it's like you don't even necessarily mean to get into it with somebody. But once you've had these moments and and you're there, you're like, oh, God, like it, you cannot take it back. You can't take it back. The information exchange has happened. Patty was really cool about it. And I like I like how the dialogue played out and how she was resigned to it, but understood the rules of it. But then she's like, you know, you're going to cheat on Kevin or, or something along those lines. And well, she said, I, you're married, too, because she goes, she goes, I can't do anything with Sam because he's married. And she's like, you're married, too. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Besides the point. Uh, right, she definitively, <laughs> but like she backtracks it and definitively takes like, there will be no fooling around with Sam kind of thing. Like, you know, so, you know, th- it's gone some far. And I'd say th- there are limits on the mutually assured destruction because at the end of the episode, she comes so close. She dances right up to the line of, 
I can trust Patty to tell her my plan to kill Kevin, but then pulls back and, and instead, in a fucked up way, uses Sam's story from the AA beating as the reason why she needs the pills. See, okay, so what I thought there was a little bit different. I and I'm I'm going like using my handmaid's knowledge too. Sometimes it's better for the overall everything, including the person you're telling the information to, to sort of give them an out. So you don't you don't tell them everything of what's happening and what you're really thinking, what the what the end result is gonna be, because you want to have them plausible deniability basically so the story she tells now man 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 when she starts to tell that story i was like this storytelling is phenomenal because i didn't see it coming when when sam is telling his story at aa i'm not thinking like oh we're we're gonna have to go and 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 hear this story again oh allison's gonna use this like it did not stick out to me like a sore thumb it was like oh this is great we're getting sam's backstory we're understanding how a good guy like sam could get himself into a bad situation. I really thought they were giving him the the reasons, you know, where we could all still feel very sympathetic towards him. And I didn't see it coming that they were planting that that bomb for her to use later. It was so smart on Allison's part, though, to give her this empathy line because they had laid the groundwork so beautifully with Judy and Cindy that this is what Patty's going to bite on. So in a way, I thought, okay, we're actually seeing a little Allison growth here. She's not just just saying, hey, Patty, I want to kill my husband. She, she tells her this story. And only through what we had said, she she seemed, we had used the word sheltered, which I, I hate to use that word. But she, but the second she steps out of her, her normal everyday and goes to this AA meeting, she gets information that she immediately sucks in and uses into her life life. She is like a little sponge. And the second she can step out of her world at all, she's like quick to incorporate that into her everyday life. I, I man, I applaud the, the storytelling of this and how she manages to get Patty involved from this standpoint of like, of like, we're not doing anything bad. We're just, you're trying to help me, man, what a smarter route to go. Cause I think you got Patty hooked. She's addicted now. (laughs) I agree in parts and I disagree in parts. As she starts to tell the story, she starts talking about how it was the bender, the coke night, uh, and the impulsive. And then she had an impulse. She made an impulsive decision, which is all very much Allison. And then I think she realizes, I think she realizes that the idea of saying out loud, I'm going to kill Kevin is too much to say to Patty at this point. I think there are limits on this relationship that she's not there yet. She's got the natural ability to survive in the world. She just hasn't had the opportunity to do it. And the way she takes Sam's story and changes it. I mean, she takes the broadest strokes. She does like a page one rewrite on the story, essentially. But the ideas of stealing from a guy at the bar but down to the name Jason and everything. Oy, oy, oy. Right, right. It becomes pills for heroin. The guy found, you know, her and now she has to pay it back. Really, really smart thinking on her feet. 
we have to assume she doesn't know Patty's backstory. I, I They didn't show us that Patty said, well, this is what happened four years ago. So I think she kind of accidentally falls into an empathetic line for Patty to hook onto, having no idea that Patty is going to get sucked and get addicted, as it were, to, to the story so well. I think it was just good last-minute covering on Allison's part that worked out in her favor. Finally, something went her way. I, I agree with you that it wasn't like, you know, like this whole plotted part on on allison's part because i do because i think it was as impulsive as anything else you know she just tells this story why do i have to have a reason mm, let me come you know i just heard this literally an hour ago and i'm gonna tell this story you know but i but i think from from an audience standpoint how smart to have made it made a character do this when we are privy to patty's storyline and we know that that the empathy string is the one to pull now let me tell you this though as much as as much as we can say Allison doesn't know this about Patty, there's an entire movie called Riding in Cars with Boys where the entire big message at the end is you have to just figure out if you, all you have to do is ask for help from a woman. And if you ask for help from a woman, that is the very best way to get her to cooperate. So that might sound silly, but but strong arming her, telling her you want to you want to kill Kevin saying I have something on you and I'm going to blackmail you any of those things not the best thing best way to get a woman's heart to open up is to say I need your help would you please help me that is a very well-known stereotype out there if you will generic I mean that's how gosh what was it Gacy that was the whole thing right hold the other end of the couch for me please I have a broken leg just help me for just a minute and women would like walk right into his van uh, Buffalo Bill in uh Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and, and they would literally walk into the van versus him ever having to struggle with her just by saying, oh, oh, I need a little help. I mean, it's it's a long-researched phenomenon that women are like that. Men will keep walking, but women will be like, oh, no, what is it? <laughs> and it's hard. I, I have to talk to myself about this, uh, like, frequently because I, I ha- wear my heart on my sleeve. And if I'm walking along and someone were to say, please, can you help me with this? I... I would willingly grab onto someone else's hand to end up being pulled to my death, you know? Oh, and that's God. that's something I have to talk to myself about. Like, oh, no, you can't reach your hand out every time somebody asks you to. That's scary. You have, you, have, you have to harden your heart to the world a bit. And I hate saying I hate I hate the concept of having to say that. But the world needs you more than the person asking for your help needs your help. It's really directed to females. It really is. This is just a, for culturally is a gender issue. Women need to harden their heart more in the wider world to avoid harm coming to you because there's nothing worse than those stories, you know, that their kind heart did them in in the end mm-hmm. is is the worst kind of story. And when you look at Patty, though, and you look at the storyline that it looks like she's being drugged into here and we don't know where this is going to go. But let's say it actually ends up in Kevin's death. Let's say that, which which that's something you and I haven't talked about. Do we think he's a, he's going to die in the end? Like, what do we think is going to happen? <laughs> But but let's say, right, she could look back to the to the backyard pig moment and think Allison reached her hand out and I willingly put my hand into her hand and went with her to my own 
slaughter, perhaps, especially in front of the dead pig animal, everything that you have there. There's some like feeling of like going to a slaughter that it's like, ooh. Is there a double edged sword here, though, that let's say it all works out, though, and Patty finds out that the pills that she helped Allison get were not to pay back Jason from whom she stole them, but in fact to kill her brother's best friend. Does that destroy that relationship? Is 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 oh, Allison yeah. is Allison setting it up where I mean she's now using Patty by lying to her here and not taking her into the trust circle. She may be giving Patty an out and plausible deni- deniability, but ultimately is sowing the seed to the destruction of their friendship. Yeah, I mean it's all short sighted. Go back to market. Every move that Allison is making with people is short-sighted. She's not thinking about what the next unintended consequence would be. And yes, you're 100% right. She's just thinking about, well, Patty can get her the pills, and then she can kill Kevin, and then... And then what? Honestly, and then what? Because you know we, we don't. I mean, because Patty and Neil would be the first people to say he, Kevin didn't do drugs. What are you talking about? And certainly Patty will know where you know oxycotton vault you know pills came from. Regardless of the story she told, when there's an overdose of oxycotton, she was already burning Patty. There's no story she could have told that once there's an overdose death that Patty's you know, friendship isn't burned, which again speaks to this idea of, we talked about how badly Allison claims to want a friend. She claims to want someone to talk to. She claims to, to want to sort of have these conversations and be deeper with people. But both Sam calls her out on it. And then we see with Patty, how she actually treats her. She lies her. She lies to her and is using her and it could ultimately land Patty in jail easily. She's not actually a good friend. She wants friends, but she's not a good friend. There's a legitimate question here of whether or not Allison is a good person or not. (laughs) Let's real quick do Allison and Sam, because I really actually think that that really sheds a lot of light on, like, is she a good friend? I I need to talk to you about this concept of people not changing as a comforting good thing because it happens two times in this episode okay where allison says to sam i still think of you like you were you're the same person to me and then sam says to her i like that you think that i'm the same person yeah and then later on sam tells Allison, you're the most self-controlled person that I know. And she's like, well, one day I just lose all control. And he's like, no, you don't change. And I, you know, essentially saying like, I like that, that these two people are comforted by the person that they think they are as if they had been locked in a time capsule for the last 10, 15, 20 years. I felt, I man, both of those things were so relatable to me. For sure. But I don't know that that's a great thing. Like, isn't it good that people change and evolve? And isn't it worrying that that you may be the same person at 35 that you were at 20 or 15? I, I don't think there's a right answer. I mean, I, I, I can just tell you, you know, there's the concept in child development, tabula rasa, right? We all start a blank slate. Sort of over time, we collect good things and bad things in our life. And the younger you know somebody, in theory, the more innocent and the more kind and the, and the less baggage that they have. So for someone like Sam, who we've, we've now been let in on, has had eight years of sobriety, and it sounds like had a really rough go before that. 
we can see that he would probably be really happy to have someone in his life who knew a less damaged version of him. Someone who had, who before he had made decisions that hurt himself and other people. Which matches Allison saying to him last week, I, I like that you're back in town because you knew me before. Leaning on the tabula rasa part of just feeling like I want people to know my most pure self. There's something comforting in that. On the flip side, when you were talking about Allison, I find it fascinating being around people who knew you when and cannot see that you have any anything on your tally board for good and bad deeds. They only see your side. I, I lived in Massachusetts for a period of time when I was in middle school. I, I was a cheerleader for a long time and and then I and then I'm now not and I don't necessarily, you know, think of that in my mind as somebody who I am currently. And so the like one family like they call me our little my little cheerleader. That's what the little the family calls me. And it's so funny to me because I'm because I'm like Allison. I'm like you see me as this one version of myself. And on one hand, that's lovely. I can think of that as Sam. But on the other hand, if I was there to say, I killed a man and I need your help, they wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't believe me. They'd be like our little chili. Like they have me frozen in time, like Han Solo, right? In Carbonite there. Like they, they won't let me grow up. And there's something like kind of equally terrifying about that as it is for Sam, you know, happy. I agree. And and almost like and and this goes a little bit I think to the next part, you know, despite despite assuring Patty that no, nothing was going to happen, uh, you know, Allison is she's looking pretty damn good here. I mean, that dress that Patty recommends to her. Oh, can I just pause there? The the idea that Patty knows Allison's wardrobe uh-huh. down to the label, down to saying that gap wrap dress if you had asked in episode one, does Patty know the gap? Does Patty know what a wrap dress is? I think most people would say no. So a small one liner like that is like, oh, Patty has watched Allison all these years. She down to knowing her wardrobe. Fascinating. If I could take a side tangent here and, sure. I, and I'm just going to sit this on the table and I'm going to walk away from it and we'll see what happens. Patty dropping that line and knowing what's in Allison's closet and not just the baggy hoodie or, uh, you know, a chunky sweater, but the gap wrap dress, something that's going to be form fitting. You sit that next to her turning Kurt down for sex in their first scene together. Oh, that's something to watch. Curious okay. there. I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious. I'm just going to sit that on the table and we're going to see how the next uh, six episodes play out. It, it, it began a percolating because, yes, I know women are aware of other women's fashions and what they have in their closet. But not Patty. She doesn't seem that way. Patty doesn't seem that way. Patty goes out of her way to treat Allison like she is an invisible entity not worth mentioning as we've seen her up until this point okay so you're thinking there there maybe is going to be either a bisexual or lesbian storyline revolving around patty i i think there were i think there were those two clues in this episode like okay. that i said that made, made my eyebrow twitch a little bit uh, you know and and say let, let's see where that goes I, I think that that would be really interesting and, again, go to an idea of, like, living a life that isn't authentic to yourself. And, yes. and I think that that would absolutely... Living a life where you can't be your truest self is a very difficult life and road to go down. I'm interested in this storyline that you're talking about for a couple of reasons. But most especially, I'm going to say, because it actually gives a reason as to why Patty hangs around. 
if Patty actually has some sort of crush or something on Allison, if there is something more going that direction, it takes all the focus out of her being a guy's girl and wanting to hang around with Kevin and Neil and puts a lot more focus on her sticking around Allison, which really gives a whole different reason i mean you have you have an older sister so i don't know if it works the same way i know as a kid i often try to get myself invited into my sisters i have two older sisters into their friend circles because i wanted to spend time among the girlfriends that they had so i could be around them you know, for the various crushes that I would have had over the years on this one or that one. And, you know, boyhood crushes kind of thing, like the older woman and, you know, she's so cool and that kind of thing. You know, I didn't find their humor particularly funny. I mean, we're five and seven years like different between me and my two sisters. But the idea of doing what I could so I could be around the object of my crush was a very strong pull for me. And we know Patty is the younger sister of Neil. So it would normally be Patty is hanging around Neil and his best friend. The trope is because she has a crush on the best friend. On Kevin. I think it's really interesting if she hangs around her brother and his best friend because she has a crush on the best friend's wife. Very interesting. I'm I'm happy to stick that on the bulletin board and put a pin in it and say, okay, let's pay attention to that one. Because not unlike Marcus, I think we're going to start figuring out little patterns here if we pay attention. And and that I think that that's very fair because otherwise we're relying on a very strange old idea of Patty just hanging around because she just has like nothing better to do kind of feeling like there's really nothing. I know because she's yeah, she's dating someone and she's got a job and she seems pretty busy, really. And so it does seem strange that she's just like she doesn't have all this free time. So interesting. All right. Well, we'll just keep paying attention to that. That was totally my tangent, though. I wanted to go back to the the last thing I wanted to say about Sam and Allison was despite her protestations in in the salon that there would be no hanky panky with Sam. She wraps her foot around his leg and they give each other a look that I can only define as very hot. (laughs) <laughs> I I thought it was smoldering. I thought the fire alarms were going to go off. The two of them are looking at each other like they are a snack they are about to devour. Well, I thought it was fantastic that they give us the nugget that they did have these little clandestine trysts that they mm-hmm. weren't actually ever, it seemed like, outwardly dating. They we asked for were... it. We asked for it, Caroline. We said, tell <laughs> we us did. there's we a did. sexual history between these two. We tell did. us what we it did. is. It's a different storyline, again, to, to not have them been have been in a relationship where they broke up, but they were a friendship where, with benefits, basically. So that was like, okay, okay, so very much they didn't ever explore this. Then to see Jen, oh my God, when she came on the screen, I was like, she's like an Allison lookalike. Like there's so there's so many similarities between the two of them. Yes. I was like, Sam just got like a replacement Allison. Yeah. Uh, well, to be fair, she had a hundred percent less chili on her person. Oh, uh, this Jen with two N. <laughs> Allison doesn't do a ton of jokes in the drama side of the storyline, but the chili bean in her hair, when she like kind of fake throws it back and goes, it was right out of Schitt's Creek. (laughs) Did you laugh or were you like cringy? I laughed too. I laughed, but it was super cringy, (laughs) but it was, it was right out of Schitt's Creek and it made me laugh. I think that was Annie Murphy more than it was even Allison. I think that's exactly who Annie Murphy is coming through there. It was very funny. I really, really liked it. 
you know, going back to that cringe humor, that chili spoon, man, I, uh, when I was just sitting on the counter, I was like, I was getting like the sweats. I was like, he's going to spill the chili on her. <sighs> it, it was, it was like killing me how much Mike, I, it was just, it, it took the idea of not noticing her hair, makeup and dress to the like nth degree. Like he never noticed that she was dressed up. He never noticed that she like had her hair done any of the, And I was just like, uh, uh, uh. right. <laughs> it was so much. All of that. Everything in the sitcom plot. There are some great sitcom tropes that they're mining here. This idea that the sitcom husband who is looks wise you know, he's an Idaho one, you know, compared to, you know, Allison is a, a like a New York 10 kind of thing. The idea that she is even more beautiful than normal because she is done up, you know, the hair, the makeup, the dress. She's looking like a knockout here and he doesn't notice because he doesn't have to appreciate her is a total sitcom trope. It, it's the kind of thing where he would have only noticed if another guy had said something and he would have been like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's a sitcom trope. Everything about the chili and then that spoon, there, there's this idea of Chekhov's gun, right? That if you introduce a gun in the first act, it's going to go off by the end of the third act. As soon as that spoon was put Ooh. there on the edge... I said, this can only end with it being having watched, it can, oh, having watched TV before and sick <laughs> before. This can only end being all over Allison. It didn't make it happening any less painful to watch. <laughs> I know. It was so bad. I mean, I jumped when it happened, but I applaud them because they they are using everything that we anticipate against us. Yes. You know, like yes. and that is so brilliant. Going back to the very beginning, the washing machine selling you the perfect life moment is like using everything against against you all the things you think you want all the things you think you're going to see and then it's like uh. right. it's, it's you know we, we started off this podcast by talking about that tagline of uh think about what you've been laughing at all these years and this show is really in quickly evolved in three episodes to think about everything you've been told all these years it's not just what you've been laughing at but think about how our lives. Uh, think about yeah. Think about the roles we're told to play and the stations and that we're told to have in life, and and how people treat us and how we treat others. Every episode has just expanded and expanded on this thought of man, we're all pretty <laughs> shitty to each other and or get shit on. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary because when you're analyzing it like this, every comment seems to be like, why would you say that? Why would you say that? Like everything is like that. I'm like, this is a lot, but I'm very impressed with the, with the storytelling and the writing. Everything is going in a way that I'm like very hooked. And genuinely care about these characters who were not set up to necessarily care about, like Patty. You know, until this episode, I, you know, I didn't really have that much of a care about Patty. And then now her and Sam, I'm like, I need to know everything. I want to know everything and I want to spend a lot more time with them. Well, we're going to, too, because it sounds like Patty and Allison are going on a road trip to Vermont yes. for a drug run, borrowing Kevin's car. Hold on to that. Uh, before we leave, there's two things I want to talk about. One is the idea of Allison claims herself a bit you know we talked about this with the hoodie last week where she she did this little at this petty act she got down to the level of the petty man and stole a hoodie but it bolstered her right it made her feel a little bit more like what she thinks she should feel like but i really think it was interesting this this part of the episode where she did good work as she sees it and she was eating the burger and the idea that she quote unquote earned this burger that line was so 
interesting to me and comparing it to her time when she was on a swim team this before time that she likes to think about a good version of herself where she would reward her hard work at swim practice with a nice fatty burger and that she felt that she had earned that burger today in this episode true or false this idea that allison is waking up to herself I think it's part of this larger theme of the walls are all falling around her, right? And now she is going out into the world and she is having to figure out who is Allison. How else does she reclaim herself, whatever herself is? That scene with them on the porch in general of the two women eating burgers on the porch to avoid the men uh, was poignant. Even the small things like the like when Patty's like, of course, you're always cold. Um, (laughs) That was so funny. Later on, Kurt goes to offer her a jacket in the parking lot and she says, I'm not cold. The attribute of being delicate or being fragile is wrapped up in that. And, and of course, the person that Allison seems to embody for, from Patty's POV is much more fragile and delicate. Requires and then Patty, the man's jacket be put around yeah, her shoulders. Patty doesn't doesn't need that. And I and I was like, wow, OK, this is this is an interesting in one line, one sentence paralleling these two women and really really being clear to the audience like these are these are two different personalities we're dealing with and i just love it patty has a definitive point of view of who she is as compared to allison we talked a lot last week i think about how allison has always defined herself using someone else as the measuring stick right allison has defined against kevin which means that Allison really doesn't have any kind of sense of self. I think that line, you know, of course you're cold, and then echoing it later to Kurt saying that she's not cold, and the use of the word cold both times was an indication of how Patty defines herself. Patty defines herself at least a bit as against who Allison is or who she thinks Allison is. And that's interesting, too, because I want to see how that changes over the course of the show if these two do have a friendship that blooms. Did you listen to the closing song of this episode? Oh, gosh, remind me. It was called You Always Hurt the Ones You Love. Uh, it was originally recorded by the Mills Brothers in 1944. Sure, I know the song. Uh, here, here are the opening lyrics to the song. You always hurt the one you love, the one you shouldn't hurt at all. You always take the sweetest rose and crush it till the petals fall. You always break the kindest heart with a hasty word you can't recall. So if I broke your heart last night, it's because I love you most of all. Oof, that's a rough set of lyrics, a dark set of lyrics, but weighty for this idea of lashing out against the one you love because why because they can take it because they can be an outlet for your anger because you trust them the most so this is really common with with kids especially the one i was teaching oftentimes parents would come in and they would say i don't understand why do they only act this way at home but they don't act this way at school and i'll say well because you're their like comfort place you're the person they love the most so they they'll have their tantrums with you they'll break down with you they'll be their worst selves because they know you'll still love them where at school or in public places they they tend with other adults to be more reserved because children are survivors they're very cautious they rely on primal instinct and they're not going to reveal their underbelly if you will they're sad they're scared they're whatever they try to keep a stiff upper lip around other adults but then they'll break down the second they go home that whole idea of like you only hurt the one you love is it comes down to unconditional love and comes down to where you think you're the safest the but of course the double-edged sword of this is is in this song this man's saying he's using it as an excuse as like 
well, if I broke your heart, it's just because I love you so much. <laughs> That's that that takes it to a different level. As adults, we should regulate that better. <laughs> you should forgive me. You owe me unconditional forgiveness. You know, I only did X horrible thing to you because I love you so much. Well, the, and the really and the the remainder of that sentence is, and because I believe you'll you'll understand, and there's infinite forgiveness, and you'll never hold it against me because you love me too. Oh, but I'm going to tell you, I have a degree in child development. This is a primitive instinct. This is something that humans do. This is something that, as you mature, you have to kind of teach yourself not to do. That's like the instinct that we all have. And that and that includes bad behavior, throwing something, doing whatever, because, you know, you know, you might get super in trouble at school, but, you know, your mom's going to still love you at the end of the day. I don't know how adults break this. I don't know how that song gets unraveled and people stop being so hard on the people they love the most. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I don't wonder know. if this show will teach us. I, I, I you know. They, I hope Valerie putting a lot and on it. <laughs> Valerie and Craig hopefully have the answers that they can teach all of us. That would be great. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you guys for listening to Kevin Can Podcast himself, your unofficially official Kevin Can Fuck Himself podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please go and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating while you're there, that would be great. So we don't have to lock ourselves away in our houses and become Kermits. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.